0: Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sekou Lailo. And I'm Maxine Paul. And we are pulling back the layers of Black male humanity to look at what's true, what's authentic, what's
1: deep. Co-creating space for Black men to explore their humanity, Blackness, maleness, and everything in between, to fully introduce themselves.
0: Marial Kanene a native of Congo, Africa. Driven and competitive, this brother is on the cusp of some major changes in life. Looking to start a new chapter, Mario is wrestling with being behind with the dreams and expectations he planned to be a part of his legacy. He confesses he is simply not trying to feel like a failure. Listen as this brother explores the difficult questions that challenge Black men to reconcile with identity and a sense of purpose. Let me introduce myself. We are pulling back the layers of black
1: manhood. Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself, where we're pulling back the layers of black men in all of our diversity, in our whatever is maleness, whatever is blackness, we're understanding that through your eyes and the eyes of all our guests. So welcome, Mario. Uh And to start out, we want to ask you just to introduce yourself, whatever that means to you.
2: Thank you for having me. Let me introduce myself. Yeah, my name is Marielle. About me, lived in D.C. for the last six years and just finished a year in L.A. And now I'm currently, you're finding me in Dallas. And I'm getting ready to start a new chapter. Though I grew up here, I always say I grew up in, like, I grew up in Dallas, but I became a grown up in DC in the sense of I did a lot of adulting there and now I'm 30 and now I'm like finding myself back in my hometown and something like I I thought I wanted to do in a while, but I'm also doing it in like a more accelerated timeline than I anticipated. And so that's been both like, you know, counting your blessings in the sense of, everyone's had a, or is having a, had a t- is having a tough year. You know, 2020 has not been the year any one of us has expected, unless you're, you know, Dr. Fauci or someone like that. But so navigating that right now. And so that's me.
1: Yeah, cool. I appreciate that. I want to follow up real quick and just ask, how is it feeling coming back home to where you kind of grew up?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And it's something that's kind of hit me more recently. Now that, so my, most of my siblings are here, and just close family and friends, and I'm super close with my siblings, and we're also, it also because we're a big family, we're also a bit competitive, and we, we got together, and everyone was just, like, sharing updates, and, you know, we're giving each other affirmations, but in the process, it was like, I started to kind of, like, do like inner reflection of like, well damn, like what am I doing? You know, (laughs) like I feel like I'm making some progress, but like I don't know, just like when you kinda again surround yourself with people who also build you up but who are also doing better than you. It's like, oh okay, like let me let me step it up a bit. So part of that also is also seeing though I'm back in Dallas, though I'm back in my hometown, it's like me like discovering it again, if that makes any sense. Like, it's like me, like, actually having a different placement of what home means in Dallas for me than maybe what I thought, like, growing up.
1: Okay, yeah, sounds good. I appreciate that.
0: That's good, I mean, you said you, you did your growing up in D.C., and so you're coming back to Dallas with a whole new person and seeing through different eyes that's great, and I, and I guess too, it's, it's also a great time to be in the transition and be moving around, because the world is kind of doing its own thing, and uh, you kind of moving with it. It's interesting to hear, Mario, that things are speeding up for you, going faster than you expected. That's not something I usually hear. Usually is, you know, we're a little bit behind, and we want to kind of catch up. so that's great. But with this move and all of this transition, let me ask, how are you feeling today? And I mean,
2: how are you really feeling today? Yeah, that's a great question. I would answer that question really. So I guess I'm going to answer that question by how I'm trying. So I'm trying not to feel like a failure in a sense. And though, this move was like something I wanted to do and anticipated long ago. It's also not like playing out on the timeline I wanted it to play out. And also not really under the conditions in which like I ideally would have liked. And so the, the piece on like counting my blessings, it's like seeing that and also like trying to like face it and acknowledge that is, is has been a struggle and Whats still like, though the ch- new chapter is being turned, making that leap forward of like, am I really still on stable ground? But then also being able to, you know, remind myself that giving myself the space and to take my time. Mm.
0: So maybe I misunderstood what you said about the time period. So I, I could stand corrected on that. What you said at the beginning is really interesting. You said you were trying not to feel. And I know I've been that person probably most of my life and I have my own reasons for it. Why are you trying not to feel?
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think it, it could be a host of different things, but I, one thing that I could, that comes to mind really is not wanting to face the truth and then also, maybe not knowing after facing the truth, like what the next step is, like what moving forward from that looks like. Good,
0: thanks, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense.
1: Now, I think I know a little about you, but I want you to give the opportunity to say, What is it that makes Mario Mario? Like, what's unique about you? What do you think it's like? Very,
2: I mean, for me, I would say. Everything I set out to do, it's sometimes also like to my detriment a little bit. <laughs> because everything I set out to do in some shape form or another is to like build someone up. Build someone else up. And hopefully in, in return, like I'm rewarded and similar like to an extrovert, get their energy from being around people. I would say I I'm definitely like first and foremost extrovert, but then there's a like a an introvert in me so like an extrovert introvert if that <laughs> profound meta but that introvert too like also needs their like retirement so for example when well i'm still not answering your questions
1: it's okay Now, i think the unique thing about this podcast is we really want it to be just and that's why we don't really don't do any prep or anything like that we don't give you questions beforehand because we want the the messiness just, like, you trying to figure it out. I think that's half of the brilliance of this is, like, people are figuring this out as they're going, as they're
2: they're answering questions. So your question, remind me of the question. What is it that makes you, you? Unique, right. Okay, so doing something to build always someone up, and it maybe stems from, like, just me being very community-driven, compassionate. But then, you know, I also... I'm not always like in La La Land. Though it's like nice to to be in, but like I'm also very realistic. That's what I would say. Cause even from the work that I've taken up, it's always been like social impact driven from the projects I've like, personal projects I've taken up, whether it's like through the Art of Perspective, my blog, or even through my the fitness brand I'm building gym with m k so through those like whether it's like building someone out through storytelling through representational media or building someone up through fitness through hey, yeah, I'm like super fit, but like i'm also i might look like a me head, but I'm a compassionate person, you know like i i'm here to build you up i'm like i'm loving, and so i i think those are the things just kind of comes out through author that makes me, I I would say unique. Yeah. We need some more of that
0: building up mentality and the loving part. And, you know, especially for, for men, for black men, because there's a narrative of black around black men. That's a myth and it's not authentic. So it's great to, you know, just hear you share that. You touched on this a little bit earlier, Mario, but what are, and you can go a little bit deeper, what are the different roles that you play in your life? Why and how do those roles impact your identity? Who you are, the different roles you play, why, and how they impact your identity, your sense of who you are.
2: Wow. We're going deep. We're going deep. (laughs) We've got some time, right? We're... It's kind of like when you're doing a yoga class. Have you guys done yoga?
1: Yes. Have you yes. done the hot yoga?
2: Oh uh, boy! Woo! Uh, Almost died. <laughs> so we're we're like at the twenty minute mark, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wow, we just like did some things," and yeah. then you look at the clock. It's like, "Wow, okay, we're still we still got some," and we're at like level level five sweat. This is a yeah. question, and honestly, something. I guess I like peripherally because because I said I'm so close to my family like there's family dynamics you know that uh, surround us and there there are things that I your question is something I perhaps like think about but I don't really like think about and articulate I guess a whole lot and I think as I think about it I mean I'm definitely someone who brings joy like we're always like I like to laugh. I like to joke around a lot, maybe too much. Like, I'm a big kid uh, at heart. Well, I'm still a big kid, but, like, doing adult things. Yeah, so there's, like, a lot of laughter. And sometimes, unfortunately, I'm the butt of those jokes, you know? I'm at the end of those jokes. But it's all love at the end. So there's that. But then there's also, I guess, a piece of, interestingly enough, right, as we get older, we... Learn that our parents sometimes didn't always like have it right or or not always you know correct I guess and in in that process it's some um, of the roles especially I would say like in in black families and other families that probably don't come from a whole lot of wealth and it's interesting as you get older it's like not only are you realizing that but also the roles sometimes get blurry and start to change of like the child becomes the provider so that's been kind of an interesting balance and discussion too because it's like yeah there's just also things that the kid is building too and so it's like how how can you play the part of like giving while you also save and also build where you're wanting to build. Sounds like you're balancing a lot.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I wanna understand some more, you know, especially pertaining to what our podcast is about black men. How's your relationship with other black men and then other black people that are not men?
2: Interesting. I mean, I would say pretty close in the sense of today most of my friends are black or either people of color. And interestingly enough, growing up though. I grew up in mostly white spaces. You know, the suburbs in Dallas, the white church we went to on Sundays. And then in college too, I joined a a predominantly white fraternity prior to being in a predominantly black male social organization called the Talented Tent, which was essentially a, a pipeline to like the black Greek organization world. And because I am a political animal. I had my sights out on the student body president role, And so in order to do that, I had to be the, in my eyes, the Barack Obama of Sam Houston State. And so since I had the credit with the to tent, I was like, okay, well, it's gonna be too much politics trying to like get in line with NPHC, because like my roommate and uh, best friend of mine at the time, and still today was like on his way to essentially becoming like president of the Alphas. But we basically both like joined a fraternal line at the same time. He went Alpha, I went Sigma Chi, which is a predominantly white uh, male fraternity. And so that was also interesting because yeah, it didn't necessarily play out like I anticipated. I ended up losing my election. (laughs) But there's other politics I play that we're not gonna go to go into at the moment but it's interesting point that I point to because it was like me trying to figure myself out in a sense of like where do I belong in the social group like yeah I'm this African kid from the Congo grew up in Dallas but then like in this world in this American world a black man but then in the black community I might not always be black enough but then you join this like predominantly white community, and then they're also telling you you're not black enough. And you're like, wait, can you actually say that? You know, and so (laughs) confusion on all fronts. Growing up, a lot of that growing up played out in DC. And I think through that, that's how I met Max and stuff. And the friends that I'm, I'm close to till this day that I look to for inspiration on whether it's like entrepreneurship advice, creativity, or even just like career mentoring. That's where I go to, so, yeah. Mm, That's an interesting tapestry
0: of stories. I love it. I love it. I have to ask, Mario, say a little bit more about the fraternity. And I'm curious about what was your biggest challenge Mm -hmm. with the fraternity? And what was a moment or moments where you felt most affirmed and felt like, yo, I'm I'm in the right place, if there was such a thing.
2: Yeah, there was definitely moments of affirmation in the sense of I felt that I was breaking barriers and bringing uh, people together, right? Because, you know, you go on any college campus, it's it's rare that people, like, mix or just, like, if you're... Yeah, it's just rare that people, like, came together like that unless, like, you were coming from however the social order was set up. And so it, it was affirming in the sense that like I felt like I was, at that moment, changing the narrative. Like, you can be an exceptional man at the top of the tent, and you can be part of a Sigma Chi fraternity, was the narrative. And that played out in its different forms, right? In the form of, like, whoa, you know, you might invite some friends to a party, and then some people freak out because they're like, who, who invited these people? And then... You're really not really understanding or or not wanting to understand maybe at the time like why somebody's freaking out. You know, why is this East Texas white man freaking out that a young black man from Houston is at his house? We thought this was like an open invite kind of situation. Those kind of like subtle aggressions was things that like surprised me most. But should I have been that surprised given that it's East Texas? No, I thought I was doing a lot more than than I, than I guess I was, you know, in the sense of like because it also ended up unfortunately playing out in the in the campaign trail because like not only was the politics at play, but then my conversation with community was, well, we heard this information about you. is it true? And it's like, no, it's actually not true. I wish it was coming from my mouthpiece first, right so like I essentially at a point. I lost touch with the community. Also, it didn't help that, anyways, we won't get into this college beef. (laughs) It didn't help the fact that like, basically there was like two black people running against each other. Even though like, so I was running against a black woman and it was me and then a pretty solid ticket. But people that they had on their ticket, I basically just wasn't ready for. And side note, it was a messy campaign. Well, it was a messy election altogether, right? Hillary Clinton was not the first person to have had an election cheated from her. I'm Mario Kanene, and I, I'm someone who has to experience that. But again, we won't go into it. But long story short, neither one of us could serve. And because she couldn't serve, her vice president stepped up to serve, which Anyways, technically, we won't get into college beef, but like technically, if we want to get technical, I could have contested that, but I didn't want to. I was already done because I was a junior at that point and I was like ready to try to get out of there, get into my senior year and like get out of Huntsville as quick as I could.
1: I kind of want to ask about your experience in D.C. You said you grew up a lot in D.C. Like you grew up in D.C. We became grown, as you said. Oh, yeah. Okay. Became a grown up.
2: How did that happen? I was gonna say, I was awoken to the bullshit of the world. (laughs) No, what happened in uh, DC really was the (laughs) the emancipation of Mario Cadete. So I sold my car when I left Texas. It was like a 91 uh, Toyota Corolla. And if you guys live in driving states, you know like selling a car to go somewhere where you're not gonna need need a car, that's major. And so doing that was one step of like, wow, I'm really about to do this. And I did it. And I was making $16,000 a year as an AmeriCorps, which was like already kind of like working for a nonprofit. Not only are they like paying you small, but then they're also asking a lot more of you. (laughs) So that was also like a, like a good, like orientation to uh, the career ahead. And that on top of just like, again, building a career and also on a personal level, coming to terms with a bit more like my sexuality coming in terms with just my ability to fend for myself or make a living for myself, despite not always having the the resources, you know, or or family wealth to pull from. And then also just my ability to like build a bit more of a, not only a friend group, but like a community of people who were like only giving of each other, but then also just like expecting high standards of each other and having those intellectual conversations right and in dc i was able to see that like blackness can come in all types of forms my blackness is just as sufficient as anyone else's i guess i i saw myself <laughs> not to get all like woo but i saw my like i i saw myself a bit more and so as I'm, like, going on this journey now, it's been eye-opening in the sense of, like, what I'm saying I saw, is that still true in all types of environments?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I know, like, D.C. was definitely a crucible. It was all <laughs> figuring things out <laughs> out there. No, okay. I appreciate that. Sekou?
0: Yeah. That was was definitely a, a, another layer. I And I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, so I know about the DC world a little bit myself. I didn't know y'all were up the street at the time, unless (laughs) I might have traveled down. But uh, this is something else that I think is uh, provocative, I guess you could say, just in terms of going a little bit deeper, like what are some things or something that you often want to say out loud, but don't say it for fear of how you'll be received, what people will think about you, what are some things that come to mind that you really want to say and really feel but don't say?
2: Hmm. Well, Seku, you're, you're always hitting me with the, the tough questions, the Oprah 2020 questions. Something I always want to say, but I'm always, I, I hold back on. You can say it how you feel. it. I really have to think about that. Can we come back to that? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I gotta, I'll, I gotta think about that. Okay, we'll circle back
0: to that. Well, let, let's talk about this a little bit. We're in a pandemic or pandemics, however you want to name it. And I know Maxime and I have had our own experiences and shared how we're trying to navigate this world that we're in, this transition that we're making. And, you know, there's anxiety about what the world is going to look like when we come out of this. We don't even know when we're going to come out. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about kind of being in the belly of the beast right now and what is it saying to you? What How are you thinking about it and looking ahead?
2: Yeah, that's a... So I think how I would answer this question is linked to how I shed a bit of light of why I struggled to answer your previous question. So I think something that I always seem to lack courage, I would say maybe, in, in admitting to a lot is not knowing. Admitting that I don't know, uh, especially... Especially like in a business setting, man, I'm horrible at answering a question. I give you like long-winded responses and stories and tales and then we get to the response. That's what we like.
1: You know, a lot of people do that. That's how we talk. They they go on a journey. Because I said, you're figuring out as you're answering it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So like, I hate admitting that I don't know. Even though admitting that you don't know should always be like the starting point of you getting to know and then finding out. But then not knowing, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. I think that's what, like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, okay, I thought I knew, but like, I don't know what I'm doing. And admitting that is troubling. And then also admitting it with a layer of like, maybe if you admit it, you might not have the support that you need to actually like grow from it. It might actually be at your detriment at a business sense for like admitting those weaknesses. So I hate admitting that. And I feel like, again, admitting that is like a form of me admitting failure. And part two of the question drives me to that mainly because like I'm, I'm also thinking about like, like my next chapter right now, right? So like as I am looking at different avenues, whether it's like business school, which is most likely <laughs> to happen, but then also just thinking of like the financial investment and then like the return and like the, the course, right? how I'm trying to chart out what is gonna come after this nightmare that we're living in or like how am I gonna like stay sane or like stay in control in some way, shape or form of navigating um, these changes. And so that's an aspect that's playing into it, turning the page from what I've been doing really in the last 12 months to maybe being a bit more open to my creative pursuits Taking on some project-based consulting, part-time work to really like. However, my next opportunity looks. I want to be very intentional, and in carving out that create, leaving myself that creative space to just do what that that space that I've been so longing to do will allow me to do. And I so I just want to be able to to do that while you know, keeping the lights on. Gotta keep the lights on. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. I resonate. Um, yeah. So I have to ask you this for free if you don't feel like sharing, but I think it was interesting that you were in Dar es Salaam when the pandemic was, was hitting, like especially in America, You're like hitting America and you were like, what was going through your mind and how did you deal with that?
2: I actually, I thought I was going to like write it out a little bit. Yeah, I think I left around like the maybe the first week of February and I was only supposed to be there it was I was there for work uh, and I was only supposed to be there for about what three and a half three and a half weeks and then go, head to Austin afterwards for South by South Towers for the edu section because the organization I was with were organized educational nonprofit and so I had to invite to do EDU at South by. And gearing up for that trip, you know, there's there's like news circulating, you know, especially like you're hearing news that coronavirus in China, parts of Asia is being a little weird. So you're just like hearing a lot of international news, but like the US, like we're chilling. So it's like, okay, so we're, I mean, I think it's gonna be fine, right? Cause it's a global issue. We always handle it. We're good. So as I left, that was the mode. I get there, a weekend, we're having conversation around like, yo, I think, I think we should probably cancel, because a lot of events are being canceled, <laughs> and we don't know what's going on. But, I mean, we still have the ticket to Austin. We can still do it, but let's just think about it. And then a uh, week before, we decided to cancel, and like two days later, South By themselves canceled. And so that's when really it hit me that, like, so that's what, like, late, late February. And that's when it kind of hit me. I was like, damn, this is, like, for real, for real. But at the same time, how I'm operating is like, well, I mean, since that's canceled, I guess I have more time. I could just stay here for, like, extend my trip, basically, by, like, two and a half weeks. And in the process of doing that, like, going into March, things were just, like, not, was, like, becoming too much, and the conversation in Tanzania is like, do we have the corona, but we don't? Is corona even going to happen in Africa? Because, like, it's too hot. It's like, see, like, we have too much going on in Africa. Like, we're being spared from the corona. That type of conversation. And then (laughs) it starts to get more and more serious, and, like, they have a day. Dar Salaam actually had a day where people were, like, rushing to, to get toilet paper, but that's another part of the conversation. But I think to answer your question, how I knew I needed to get like, just get out was when Trump made the announcement, because when he made the announcements, like, I don't think border control or like embassies were prepared on what that meant in terms of a policy and in terms of this is how we're going to operate borders, like allowing people to travel the basics. And so when we saw those images of everyone, like, posting on Twitter, like, the airports are flooded, it was because, like, everyone, they're just getting, like, a new, like, a new process check that's still, you're not really process checking anything. Because, like, I went through it when I came back, and it was a lot lighter flow, but there's still a lot of confusion of, well, I got pulled aside, got put in a room, asked where I, I came, I, like, you know, I'm coming from, and then they're like, okay, stay at home for two weeks. All right, you're, you know, not going to talk about. I think they checked my temperature at, at one point, but like, it was just like, yeah, interesting how it felt very cavalier. So that's when I knew I needed to go home, was when that announcement was made and the response from the embassies. The embassies were telling all the interns in the country, like all the students studying abroad, like you have until the 24th to return home. So we had an intern actually from the University of Maryland uh, in Baltimore. I say Baltimore. Sorry, I can't help myself. You- and, yeah, so so she had to go back home on the twenty, like, before then, too. So, anyways, I had to cut my two weeks extension short. Yeah, yeah that, that, sounds, that sounds stressful.
0: It's a lot going on. A lot going on. You talked about, you know, how you felt about being in the midst of these pandemics, and you shared your experience at the beginning of this. I, I guess that was in, was that in... February, the end of February or the beginning of March, right? Somewhere around there.
2: Yeah. Beginning February through essentially the end of March. I got back to the U.S. like around like halfway through March. Was basically inside the house since March. Going crazy. Well. Anyways, I won't go into it. Maybe you will go into it because I'm going to ask the question. My next question
0: is going to be in light of all of this going on and having feelings of anxiety and feeling crazy. What kind of support, supports do you feel like you need in this time with all that you shared? What, what do you think would be helpful for you at this time, just in terms of supporting who you are and, and
2: what you're experiencing? It's an interesting question. Sometimes I think like when people say that's an interesting question, it's like a tactic, a stalling tactic. I don't know. But- I mean, this is safe space i and I recommend it. I've done it in the past i I feel like I need more of it, especially today, and especially with a changing environment. but I would say therapy, actually. I just feel like I'm at a point where I could benefit just like having these conversations with like a licensed counselor that you know provides that non objective guidance and and also probably journaling a bit more i haven't been doing a whole lot of that lately but I feel like my my story with journaling is also I've I had I was given a journal my sophomore year at high school that I kept up until actually last year when I wrote in my last page and so my my journey with journaling has been like on and off you know like I was just like oh man I've got a lot of build-up so I've got to like journal I'm glad I've done that and so I feel like I'm at a oh, I need a journal, right? And I would also just like to maybe do that more regularly. Yeah, and just in addition to that, I I would just say like those are the the main key things I see. And for sure, in addition to just like having that supportive community that I'm contributing to, but then that's also building me up as well. Thanks for sharing that. We are big advocates
0: for therapy all day. We do a whole lot of it. And it makes a,
2: a lot of difference.
1: We actually share the same therapist. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, Oh, because you guys are both in the lineup.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They can recommend him
2: to me.
0: Yeah. He does virtual, so. Yeah.
2: So
1: I go virtually. I went to the office once.
2: Yeah, I do both, but we can recommend. Yeah. Yeah, there are some recommendations. Uh, I feel like I've been underutilizing this health insurance.
1: And somebody don't got none.
2: Soon with this independent uh, contracting situation. Well, actually there's healthcare available through the federal marketplace, even though they don't be promoting it. You can still sign up. It's
1: expensive. I actually found it cheaper and I'm not gonna say it because, you know, I don't wanna uh on the record, but I have found some ways around it.
2: Is <laughs> it supplemental or it's
1: you know, businesses get pretty good deals on insurance. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah wow. businesses get pretty wow. good deals. And businesses
2: uh, pop up. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business. Exactly.
1: Man. I'm a job. So I want to ask you now, we have all this going on and I want to understand what does it mean for you to be free? What does freedom look like for you?
2: I Actually, I'm I'm about to watch that Nina Simone doc here shortly. It's on my to watch list on Netflix, my Netflix watch list. What is freedom to me? Wow. for the longest freedom to me has been financial independence. Just like Financial freedom is freedom to me. Not having debt, not having, not owing anyone shit, because I haven't had it. That is something that just like the image of like chains being broken. That's an image that comes to mind, like financial freedom. In addition to that, I'm moving beyond that. It's really like the freedom of, of work. The freedom of like actually living and doing my life's passion as a career. You know, and referencing back to what you said, Maxine, being my own job, and so that—that that is freedom. That is the freedom, and it's also things that I guess when we talk purpose and when we talk mission and personal life mission. I think my mission is really to obtain freedom. <laughs> so, quick follow-up. Uh, you guys are good.
1: What are, are the things you're passionate about? You said a little bit of of some of them, but you just you can list them. Whatever you want to do. What is the thing okay. you want to do? We got well, to put it out there for it to be real, you know?
2: I would like to own my own holding company. And the holding company would entail, of course, like all my creative ventures, whether it's in the media space, whether it's in fitness brand building space, or this new chapter as I'm as I'm looking at whether I'm going to take on a new full-time thing or do more project-based part-time work. It would be very doubling down on this, like, social impact social innovation consulting side doing that private consulting and seeing what it looks like to consult on the side of like building community and also doing good right you can do well and you can do good as a company and as a community organization so big picture is somehow you know if i can like yeah if this consulting comes up that would also be part of the holding company and the growth from there I hope is exponential because like I, I I don't think we just like stop growing, you know? And especially as creative as entrepreneurs, the opportunity to build something, make it viable, and like of course continue iterating, but then also continue like building new things is something that like I'm I'm definitely most passionate about. Cool. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well you knew Maxine before this started and, and I have the honor of getting to know you now and just say, you know, just by virtue of my words, I support am supporting you and your vision there in Dallas and, and hoping that you realize some of those things because we need it and we need brothers to create space for, for our people. I'm going to share just some of the things that, resonated with me, Mario, over the course of this, because you were, and thank you for just being open and sharing and, and being vulnerable. And uh, I try to take away what I can from our interviews and see what I can apply myself. One of the things you said that really stuck with me was the, the journaling, which is something that I'd, I've been told that I need to do more It's therapeutic and it's healing, and it it also helps just with my vision. So I'm gonna go back and make an attempt to pick up my journal and try to get to working on that myself. One of the things you said was that you're community driven, you're compassionate, you don't live in La La Land. You try to keep it real and stay on the ground. Talked about your fraternity, and you said storytelling, and fitness and building people up and that seems to be something that really drives you is that part of the building people up in the storytelling let me ask about the storytelling part what do you want to do specifically with the storytelling because narrative Mm. narrative is really really important and creating and shaping your own narrative is important. So what, what's the storytelling piece?
2: The storytelling piece is, is an interesting piece. It's been an evolving piece for me, for sure. And for me, first and foremost, I want to be able to share my story um, and share my perspective on how I see the world and the world that has shaped me and the people who, who have and are inspiring me. And so through that form of storytelling, amplifying new perspective, whether it's honestly amplifying new perspective through just new forms of media, right? At the moment, it's been mostly just pure blog. And there's been conversations of like, oh, you should do a podcast. And like, I always felt like if I don't have the time to like be as hard on my blog as I would like to be, I don't think I have time to like produce my own podcast. Amongst a whole, whole host of other things like taking up, right? But I always come back to this piece of storytelling because it's been so formative for me to not only creatively express myself, but then to build a community around creatives and around perspectives that shape mine that should be amplified. And so, media business can be very marginal, right? And so, the form of like, Sorry, I think we we're like five minutes over time. We're good. So we're good. I'll I'll try to keep this short. But one of the things that always excited me about where storytelling can take me, because initially where it started was, oh, I'm graduating college and a professor told me, "Wow, your writing is exceptional." I don't know if that was like a form of like, "Wow, you're really articulate," but I I took it and I ran with it. I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm a good writer," you know. And so I I, I started a blog and that was my way of like keeping up with my writing. And over time, it just like grew a bit beyond me, right? Maxime and Steph were even contributors at one point. We're almost along with like three other people. And it was like this little startup shop of an editorial board, you know? I thought I was like, actually like, I'll finish my sentence. But like, I thought I was actually like, you know like you know running an editorial board like okay we're gonna talk about startups on Wednesday on Monday we're gonna do a music Monday session we're gonna talk wellness you know cultivating sense so just uh, it was fun it was fun but then of course you know career or not just career but like the work that pays you to keep the lights on kind of overtakes that and you don't really have the space the creative space to do that as much as you would like to because there was a point where when i was in americorps like before i'd start work the first like hour would be like doing a website and like social media updates for the blog and that would be like how i started my day which was anyways as you can probably imagine like probably problematic but eventually but whatever and so in, in thinking about storytelling and just thinking about how it's evolved, right? And because it became harder and harder to like wrangle multiple people and like try to get that contribution, it became again me telling my own story. And now I feel as as that evolution continues, it's i I feel like it's at a place where that storytelling wants to tell a story of community again. And, and wants to tell a story of beauty and a story of art and of music, because music did drive uh, a lot of the storytelling, you know? I think I answered your question, I don't know. Yep, thank you.
1: No, we really appreciate that. And we really appreciate your time, your vulnerability, your answers. And we want to finish it off by just asking, where can people find you online and just see you know, the work and connect with you, do a fitness class with you, you know, Cause you're a caring meathead, is that what you said?
2: (laughs) That should be uh, part of the title, caring meathead. Actually, yeah. (laughs) yeah, So I mean, all spaces, Mariel Kanene, at Mariel Kanene on Instagram and Twitter mostly. And I guess if you, you know, oh, I also just launched a a website Anyways, or Marielkanene.com. You can also connect with me there.
0: Mario, just just can you spell that out?
2: Just yeah. Spell that out uh, real quick. Because it's M, A, R, I, E, L, K, A, N, E, N, E. Right.
1: Thank you. And are your DMs open?
2: Can someone respond to my stories while they're looking at me? Oh, okay. You? I keep the stories on 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 ongoing. So. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, we appreciate it. Do you have anything <laughs> else you want to offer?
2: No. I mean, I just want to say like. Thank you guys for creating the space for this conversation. And I'm excited to hear uh, the conversation you guys have with other folks and really where you guys take it. And please don't, I guess, be shy to like, bring me back. I know I talk a lot, but I'll try to like. Absolutely. We got you. And uh, And as you guys are support me, I also would like to affirm the work that you guys are doing Thank you. Appreciate it. The work that you guys are building.
0: So this is Let Me Introduce Myself, and we had the honor of welcoming and building with Mario. And thank you again, and we look forward to building again. We look forward to seeing you again, and blessings on everything that you're doing, brother.
2: Appreciate it. Thank you, Sakuyu. Thank you, Maxime, and blessings to you guys.
1: We appreciate you sharing yourself and being vulnerable, Mario. I can totally understand your journey in DC and it allowing you to grow up. It's definitely a place and was a time to figure out who you are especially apart from your family and the influence of whiteness in East Texas. We can definitely understand the precarious situation of pursuing your creative passions while keeping the lights on cuz financial freedom is something we're all searching for. I fully support you becoming your own job. Whatever that looks like. Thank you, Mario. This was another episode of Let Me Introduce Myself. Come back next week for back-to-back episodes.